Good morning, church. I'll be reading from 1 John, first chapter, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. New year, new series. Here we go. First John. We're going to work our way through First John. Know that you know God is the title of this series. It will take us all the way to Easter. And the title of this weekend's message is Fellowship with God and Joy. It's based on the first four verses of First John chapter 1. There's no greater purpose, pursuit, or passion in this new year than to know that you know God. Take a look at your sermon notes there. Satan delights in keeping true Christians unsure of their salvation because they'll never experience the freedom, joy, and confidence God wants for them. But he also delights in keeping those who are on their way to hell deluded into thinking that they are on their way to heaven, their consciences immunized from seeing their need to repent. To know that you know God is the believer's ark in life's storms, peace in panic, joy in sadness, the power and the presence of God to face anything. Anything that you face, you can face it if you know that you know God. I love uh, a book that I've read. It's really a great book by Thomas Brooks, 1654. It's called Heaven on Earth, and it's about the Christian assurance. And basically, he's, he's, he's saying this over and over, is that Christian assurance is heaven on earth. It's heaven on earth. To know that you know God is heaven on earth. On earth. And so the title, Fellowship with God and Joy, so fellowship or intimacy with God will no doubt bring joy, a joy that is out of this world. And so there's three questions I believe this text helps us to answer. What is fellowship with God? What does that mean to have an intimate relationship with God? Second question is, how do we know this is true? What's the basis of this? How can, why can we take this to the bank and experience this? And uh, we'll give you a basis for it. And then the third question is, what difference does it make? And believe me, it makes a world of difference. And so let's take that first question, what is fellowship with God? The word fellowship is used two times in verse 3. The Greek word is koinonia. How many by show of hands are familiar with that word koinonia? You guys have heard that before. And so it, it, it means intimacy, interaction, and communion. But let me give it in a sentence form, the definition of fellowship. Intimacy with God is mutual giving and receiving of love and truth. 
So if you have an intimate relationship with God, there will be this mutual between you and God, giving and receiving of love and truth. Four things must happen in your relationship with God to have intimacy with God. Let me begin, though, before we look at these, uh, these four things. Let me show you the basis of this is not only scripture, but let me give you one verse that gives us, uh, helps us to see this. This is found in Jeremiah 31, 33, Old Testament. And so this is predicting, this is a prophecy about the new covenant that we are now living in. And so this is what he says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, the people of God, after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. There's the truth part of that. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. There's the love part of that. Truth and love, mutual giving and receiving of truth and love, love and truth. And so, in an intimate relationship with God, you, here's the first thing. The first two have to do with uh, truth. The second two have to do with love. And so you will listen to him. You'll hear truth from him. In fact, John 10, three through four, Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them by name and they follow me. That's what Jesus said. So do you hear his voice? Do you know that he knows you by name? That's pretty intimate. He knows your character. He knows everything about you. And that you follow him? That would be listening to him. So let me ask you this question. You can answer it out loud. What is the primary way God speaks to us? What's the primary way God speaks to us? Right on. That's it. The Bible. The Bible. And... Uh, we talked about this uh, listening to God back during our Malachi series. We just finished it up here at the end of the last year, 2019. And uh, in that series, it was the third week into that series. Remember the first week was love him, the father heart of God, love him. And the second week, worship him. The third week was listen to him. I go into more detail about what that means to listen to him. So you may want to go back and, and listen to that to get more detail. But let me just give you some, some ideas of what it means to listen to him. People who know God don't read the Bible like a self-help book. But they read it to hear and interact with God. So when you pick up God's word, are you coming at it like it's a self-help book? Looking for morals? how to be more moral or whatever, or are you, are you approaching it to hear God and interact with God, the living God who makes himself known through his word? You can have a relationship with him, and he's made that available, and he, can, he speaks to us through his word. God's word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews makes that clear. And so you hear and interact with God. So let me ask you some questions here. What has God been speaking to you lately? What has God been teaching you? How has he been upholding you and guiding you? How has God been convicting you and comforting you? See, people who know God will be able to answer these questions. Now, it might take you a minute to think about it, and you might have to take someone back to a text that you've been currently reading that God's been speaking to you through, or maybe a three-by-five card that you got in your pocket or whatever, but, but, 
you're going to know. If you're interacting with the God of the galaxies, he's going to speak truth to you. I mean, I could tell you specifically what he's working on me. And, and I could take you to text of scripture, how they've become alive to me. And, they've, and it's really helping me. So there's been both conviction and comfort in my life as I interact with God. That's a good balance. And so people who know God will be able to answer these questions. People who only know about God will look at you with a blank stare in their face. They'll go, huh? So do you just know about God or do you truly know him? You're gonna listen to him. Here's the second thing, this has to do with truth also. You know he listens to you, so you're gonna share your heart with him, you're gonna speak truth to him. Now, here's one of the issues, is that much of our prayerlessness is due to the fact that oftentimes when we pray, we feel like our prayers are not getting any higher than the ceiling and we're just talking to the wall. But nothing could be further from the truth for a child of God. He hears you. You can interact with him. You can know him. In fact, let me give you a verse, Psalm 34, 15. Listen to this verse. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. So his eyes are upon me. He sees me right now. I can interact with him. His eyes are upon me. And his ears toward my cry, toward their cry. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. I mean, if you just took that verse and meditated on it for a day or two, believe me, the Holy Spirit would make it alive and you would not have the prayerlessness that maybe you currently have. Man, you're gonna be interacting with him throughout the day. There's gonna be moments in the day where you just gonna enjoy, you're gonna enjoy fellowship with God and enjoying him because he hears you and you're gonna pour your heart out to him. And... Um, And so if you really believe that, that he listens to you, you will pray knowing that God listens to you and always has your best interest at heart. If you really believe that, you will pray knowing that he will do what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knew. You will pray, if you believe that, you will pray distrusting your own perspective of what you think are in your best interest and trust that God will always do what is in your best interest. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, this is why it says, this this would be a great word to, to kind of start the whole year off on. Don't be anxious about anything. How many would say, I need to hear that this morning? Show of hands, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of anxiety that can overwhelm us for any number of reasons. And here's the word of the Lord to us. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God will will guard your hearts and minds. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So how do I know that I've that he actually listens to me and I'm having interaction with him, you will have a peace that goes beyond understanding. People will look at your life and go, wow, how come they're so peaceful through this? This is pretty chaotic. They'll look at you and they'll see that because I'm trusting my daddy. He loves me. He's got my best interest at heart. And he will always do 
what I would have asked for if I knew everything that he knew. So I trust him. I rest in him. And so intimacy with God starts really, if we could say, by uh, listening to God, but knowing that he listens to us. And now we move to the love part. So that's truth. Here's the love part. And that you receive his love. So there's gonna be those times when, when you receive his love. Romans, Romans 5, 5, God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. When have you experienced his love being poured out in your heart through the Holy Spirit? See, if I were to give you kind of a quick pop quiz here and a multiple choice, there's only two choices, true or false, I would say this. Uh, does God love you? Does God really, really love you? Everybody here would probably answer, yeah, true, yes. Okay, you got the right answer. Okay, that's cool. It's one thing to know and get the right answer on a pop quiz over the fact of whether God loves us or not. True, we would all say, yes, of course God loves me. But when was the last time that you had an experience of his love on your heart? That's altogether something different. It's one thing to know. It's altogether something different to experience his love being poured out into your heart. You can have that experience. You can know that. And, um, and so how do you experience his love? Well, you contemplate it. You think about it. You reflect on it in prayer and Bible study. And, and, and you also recognize ways that you are denying his love and you repent of it. So what would be some ways that you know that you're denying his love? Well, I know about me that when I can't handle criticism, I'm denying his love. When I, I'm defensive, I'm not living in the reality of his love. When I worry or I'm bitter or anxious, I'm denying his love. I'm not living in the reality of his love. Because if I really was living in the reality of his love, oh my goodness, don't you think that would change the way that you're responding to the, the circumstances or the people or the things of life? If you knew that he loves you and had that experience on your heart, I'm telling you, it's gonna change you and your response. So you recognize ways that you're denying his love and you bring it to him. Say, God, I'm obviously not living in the reality of your love. Otherwise, I wouldn't be this worried or this anxious or this feeling this hopeless in my life. And so, if you really knew that God loved you, what would you be feeling and acting like in regards to the circumstances of life, life in general? John Owen put it this way, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father and the greatest unkindness you can do, you can do to the Father is to not believe that he loves you. So you experience his love, you receive his love, and then here's the next one, you express your love to him. You express your love to him. So Matthew 22, 37, great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do we do that? John 4, 23 and 24, by worshiping him in spirit and in truth, both with our, our head and our heart, telling him every day that you love, adore, worship, and find exceeding joy in him. When was the last time you did that? that you told him, I love you, God, I adore you. 
You bring exceeding joy into my life through my intimacy with you. You should be doing that regularly. I go to bed at night thinking those thoughts, just basking in the reality of his love for me. And uh, I wake up in the morning with those thoughts. That's a great way to start the day. And I, I, I live throughout the day. I have those moments where I just kind of withdraw inwardly and just I, I have interaction with God, both truth and love. God, what are you speaking to me here as I'm navigating through these circumstances? God, let me know your love. Right now, I'm a little bit too anxious. Let me experience your love. Let me know that everything's going to be okay and I can trust you. See, that should be happening regularly. There should be moments where you, where you withdraw and, and you just sit and bask and read his word and pray. But that, you should carry that throughout the day. Oh, my goodness. It's a wonderful way to live. Interacting with the God of the galaxies, knowing him, mutual giving and receiving of love and truth, there's nothing like it. And so telling him every day that you love, adore, worship, find exceeding joy in him. In healthy, deep relationships, you will regularly tell others how much you love them and what they mean to you. That would be, that's healthy. That's just a good, healthy relationship. Now, if you're going to do these four things, listen to him, know that he listens to you, experience his love, receive his love, and then tell him that you love him. If you're going to do this regularly and you're going to cultivate this intimacy with God, this is what you've got to do. You must, listen to me, heading into 2020, brand new year, you must eliminate hurry from your life because you can't do that in a hurry. You've got to slow the pace down. and You've got to take those times away from the chaos and all the craziness of our world and you've got to stop just skimming the surface with the internet we tend to kind of skim the surface we read this and we move on and we read this and we move on we don't think deeply about anything anymore you got to think deeply about who he is and what he's done for you and so you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life but you also need to journal some of that stuff write it on a three by five card write it down on a sticky note and take it with you throughout the day whatever it might be so that you can meditate on it and think about it and make it a part of your life. And um, that's part of it. So the difference between a real Christian and a nominal Christian, name-only Christian, and a religious or moral person is that a real Christian knows God, has this mutual giving and receiving of love and truth, and this is what the Christian life is all about. This is the best part of the Christian life. This is what I love about being a Christian, is that I have an intimate relationship with the God of the galaxies who has made himself known to me. And uh, so how do we know this is true? How do we know this is true? What's the basis of this? Is that really true, that I can have an intimate relationship with the God of the galaxies, the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth? Well, how do I know this is true? Because it is not by human speculation, but by divine revelation. Human speculation is this isn't something that man conjured up. You can see what man conjured up. Just look at all the major cults and religions of our world today. Those are very man-made, and I'll explain that in a few moments why I say that. But this is by divine revelation. John says twice in verse 2 the life was made manifest. And he's talking about the word of life. He's talking about Jesus. 
So the, the word of life was made manifest. The word manifest, the Greek word means to make visible or know what has been hidden or unknown. So it's to make visible or know what has been hidden or unknown. And so this is what you need to know is that um, the only reason you want God is because he wanted you first. That he came after you, he sought you out, he loves you, he pursued you. His love is, is always preemptive love. Many of you could complete this verse, 1 John four nineteen. We love him because he first loved us, first loved us. He first loved you. He first loved you. He came after you. The very fact that anything would be stirred up, even as I've talked about this interaction with God, there's something being stirred up within you. He's coming after you. He loves you. He's making himself known to you. As you, as you learn how to interact with, with God and know him. And so God reveals himself to us primarily through his word, but here's other ways that he reveals himself to us. Romans one, creation. Romans two, conscience. Romans three, ultimately, the ultimate revelation of God is through Jesus Christ. He's an, a historical figure. He really came to this earth. Heaven, Christ came from heaven to earth to reveal to us how we could be reconciled in our relationship with God through him and know the Father. And so Romans 1, creation, Romans 2, conscience, Romans 3, Christ, and Romans 4 is talking about scripture. So he's given us a book so that we could take it to the bank and know this is real, this is true. And that leads us to the next uh, point. It is based on eyewitnesses who heard, saw, looked upon, and touched God. And that's the book that we hold in our hands, the Bible. New Testament, whole New Testament, pretty much for the most part was written by eyewitnesses of this Christ Jesus. This man who came from heaven to earth to conquer and defeat sin, death, and evil through his life, death, resurrection. He came to make all things new starting with us. Starting with us. And, and it's based on eyewitnesses who heard, saw, looked upon him, and touched God. So we, the word we is used, listen, used six times in these four verses. Now who's the we here? Does John have a mouse in his pocket? What? The we are the apostles and the disciples. Even Paul goes on to talk about uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, some 500 people saw and interacted with Jesus post-resurrection. In fact, he said, some of those people are still alive and you can go talk to them. And so the we is the apostles and even the disciples. We, we saw him, we heard him, we looked upon him, we, we touched him. See, this is not some isolated individual experience like all cults and major religions. All, cult, all the cults and major religions are some isolated experience by an individual, but that's not true with Christianity. In fact, Acts 26, 26, Paul is appealing to King Agrippa, and he says, this was not done in a corner. Everybody knows about this. This is historical. It's factual. It's evidential. King Agrippa, roll up your sleeves. Dive into it intellectually, because this really happened. 
This Christ Jesus came from heaven to earth to rescue us. And so, uh, let's just go through verse one, two, and three, just so you can hear how emphatic he is that we understand that it's by eyewitness accounts. He says in verse one, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon. Literally, he's just saying, man, we gazed upon him. We were transfixed by him. We were like, this is God? Oh, my goodness. We're interacting with God. And he says, we looked upon him and have touched with our hands. That's verse one. Look at verse two. The life was made manifest, and we have seen him. So he's kind of reiterating that. Verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. That which we have seen and heard, we're telling you something that we've personally experienced. So it is grounded in history and objectively true. Therefore, therefore we can truly have an intimate relationship or fellowship with with God. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, his promise is as true as ever. He loves being with us. If he doesn't come, it is because we hinder him by our indifference. Jeremiah 29, 13. Many of you have probably memorized Jeremiah 29, 11. Anybody know Jeremiah 29, 11? Anybody? Show of hands. Not as many people as I thought. Okay, Jeremiah 29, 11. Probably if I quoted it, you'd probably know it. But uh, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. How many would say that they, they're familiar with that verse? They know that verse? Oftentimes we don't read that in the context of what it's written because they're in exile. They're an exiled nation living in, another, in a foreign country. He says, I'm still working. I'm still here. I'm going to take care of you. And then the two verses down, 29, 13, this is what he says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's a promise. You seek him with all of your heart in 2020, and you will find him. You will experience him. You will know that you know God. And that's, that's a great, great promise. Are you seeking him with all of your heart, with all of your attention and affection and all of your actions, your, your mind, your heart, your life? Here's the, the third one under really uh, what is the basis of our intimacy with God. And if you don't get anything else, you've got to get this one. This is really, really important. The gospel is a historical event that has been done for you. It's a historical event that has been done for you. Two times in verses two and three, this is what he says. Track with me here, you need to know this. We proclaim to you. We proclaim to you. The word proclaim means news. To make known openly, to declare. So here's here's what you need to know about the gospel. If someone were to ask you, well, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is not good advice about what you must do to be right with God. It is good news about what God has done, what Jesus has done to make us right with him. So it's not something you do, it's something that has been done for you. It's done. And... Um, so every other religion was founded by a so-called prophet or individual who said this is the way 
to find God. It's advice. They're giving advice. Christianity was founded by a man who said, I am God, come to find you. It's news. It's the best news I've ever heard. It's amazing news. And that's why declarative preaching is essential for a healthy church. The, the church as a whole in America has fallen prey to a more self-help and how-to kind of messages. What you need to hear week in and week, week out is declarative preaching. It has been done for you. You have access into the throne room of God by grace through faith in him. You don't have to do anything other than open your heart to him and recognize your need for him. And you can enter in to this mutual giving and receiving of love and truth from the creator of the universe. It's been done for you. You can have this. You can experience this. Declare to preaching. And uh, that's why it's, it's really essential for a healthy church. See, religion puts burdens on. It gives you advice of what you must do. The gospel takes burdens off. It gives you news about what has been done. The gospel takes burdens off, the burden of your past sins and the burden of your hurts and habits and hang-ups and the burden of your guilt and shame and, and the burden of having trying to prove yourself and the burden of fear about the future and you could continue on with that list it lifts the burdens off of us that's how you really know you're entering into the gospel it's like oh my goodness i feel so much lighter all these crazy things that i was worried about and stressed out over i god's got me covered he's got me taken care of i'm gonna be okay i'm gonna rest in him charles wesley 1700s in one of his great hymns describing the good news of the gospel and he's, he was actually talking about his conversion experience. He says, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Now, so positionally, by grace, so God's favor, by grace through faith, we put our faith in him, we trust in him, we give our lives to him, we repent and believe in him, and... Uh, Make him the Lord and Savior of our lives. So, so when, when we do that, positionally, we have a, not only did Jesus die on the cross for all of our sins, therefore there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He doesn't condemn you. Your sins will never be held against you. But it's, it's much more than that. Not only has he forgiven us of our sins, but he's given us a perfect righteousness so I stand before God and God looks at me as he would look at his own son, Jesus. He loves me, he adores me, he rejoices over me. And so positionally, I have a perfect righteousness. It's been done. I know, that's a mind blower. That's how God sees you. Now that's positional, but practically, we have a hard time narrowing the gospel gap between what we believe and how we behave. And so that's where the work has to come in. And that's why uh, Paul wrote this in Philippians 3, 12 through 13. He said, work out your salvation. How many are familiar with those verses? Okay. It's not working for. You can't work for your salvation. But once you have salvation, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose or pleasure. So to will, yeah, he gives us the desire. And... Um, 
to, to act, well, he gives us the ability to fulfill his purpose for our lives. So this is what we've got to do. We've got to be reminded regularly of our position. Positionally, we're perfect in God's eyes. We're righteous. We're holy. But practically, we've got to take the gospel, the, all that's true about us in Christ Jesus that's been given to us as a gift from Christ through his sacrificial love on the cross and all that he accomplished there. And so we've got to take that and begin to apply it to the specific areas of our life, like our marriage or parenting or our friendships or, or our jobs or the stresses and the problems and the worries and the cares of this world. We've got to take that and begin to apply the gospel the gospel to the specific areas of our life so that that gap begins to narrow between what we believe and how we behave. And that only happens as you interact with God and you have intimacy with God and you, there's this mutual giving and receiving of love and truth between, between you and God. Now, there's a test question I often ask people this and there's only three responses. The first two are not good responses. The first two will show us that it's evident that these people don't understand the gospel. But I'll ask people this question, are you a Christian? And one response I've, I've gotten before is, is almost a, a defensive, really a defensive response. People become defensive. They say, sure I am. Pastor Ray, you know, I come to church regularly. I read my Bible. I pray. I'm part of a small group. I drop money in the box. Wait, 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 wait. You don't get it. You're making it based on your performance. That's about you. And uh, the next response uh, I, I get probably more often, so the defensive response is not a good response. But then there's this doubt kind of response. Like, and I'll say, are you a Christian? And I've had people respond like this. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. The Lord knows I'm trying. Hey, listen to me. There's no trying. You either are a Christian or not a Christian. Does that make sense? There's no trying here. Did you give your life to Jesus? Are you following him? That's, that's the bottom line. So, the, so those first two are really based on your own performance. That's a works righteousness. But the, the normal healthy response would be not defensiveness or doubt, but it would be delight. Are you a Christian? Yeah, can you believe it, me? A Christian? Oh my goodness, this is more than I ever deserve and greater than I ever dreamed. My goodness sakes, I mean, I've been forgiven of all of my sins. I've been reconciled once and for all to God. I've been adopted into his family. I'm a child of God. He's my dad. He loves me. He's going to take care of me. I'm lavished with his love. I'm empowered by his Holy Spirit. And I'm guaranteed a place in heaven. Can you believe it? That's mine. No, I, I know I don't always live like I actually believe that, but that's where God's working on my life. And he's, he's giving, bringing about more sanctification in my life. There should be those moments as you reflect deeply about the personal work of Christ that you're lost in love, wonder, and praise. You're just like swept away. You're just going, oh my goodness, I don't want to leave this moment of interaction with you. As you reflect deeply about all the benefits that we have through Christ Jesus. 
And so this last one is not based on our performance, it's based on, on Christ's performance. So what difference does, does it make? This, this is the last question. What difference does it make? Intimacy with God, intimacy with God will produce in you a fullness of joy. A fullness of joy. Let me reread verses three and four of our text. Listen to what he says. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim, declarative preaching right there, proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Who's the our joy? Our joy may be complete. The people that are hearing him, but also himself. That as I share this with you, when you discover intimacy with God and experience that joy, oh my goodness, that increases my joy. And that's that's really what he's saying. And uh, what is this joy? Well, I think uh, Peter does a good job at describing the kind of joy that we have in intimacy with God in... uh, Second Peter, Peter's second letter, he says this, uh, he says to his audience and says to us, uh, these were not cunningly devised fables that we told you about, but these, these came because we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now in his first letter, 1 Peter 1, 8, um, this is what he says. Now, keep in mind, he's writing to second-generation Christians, those that didn't see and touch and behold Christ in person. So this is what he's saying to second-generation Christians. It's almost as if he's just saying, this is normal Christianity. This is what you will experience. And he says, says this. So 1 Peter 1.8, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's where I get that indescribable, indestructible joy. There are times you can't even put it into words. There's so much joy in your heart. And then, and two, you know that there's nothing in this world that can take that joy from you. Nothing. And uh, one of my favorite Verses is Psalm 1611. You have, you have showed me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. There's fullness of joy and intimacy with God. And um, he goes on, he says, and at, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures forevermore. I love, uh, I love football, okay? And this weekend, wild card weekend, baby. <laughs> I'm energized. I'm excited. There's a game on right now, and so don't tell me any scores, okay, please. But, but there was two games on yesterday. They were great games. And then uh, we got two more games this weekend, and I am energized and stoked and enthusiastic about football. I I really love football, but that doesn't even come close to my energy and enthusiasm that I have for the cross and Jesus Christ, okay? So that doesn't even come close to what I have in him. That's just maybe a dim glimpse, certainly a gift from God and a pointer back to him, the ultimate source of 
of joy and happiness and energy and excitement. And so I believe that intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. Intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. It's what you were created for. It's why you are here on this planet. And intimacy with God is an enchanted reality in this disenchanted world. And so if you're, uh, I mean, you don't realize where you draw your ultimate joy from until you lose it. And if your ultimate joy is from maybe your dating or marriage or children or job or finances or health or, or people pleasing, your joy is going to be pretty fragile. If it's on something that's temporal, something created as opposed to the creator, it's going to come and go and it will not sustain you through the really, really difficult times. Here, do this for me, if you would, please. Uh, talk to the person next to you. Ask them if they know what the opposite of joy is. Most people get this wrong. So you, to understand joy, you need to know what the opposite of joy is. So what is the opposite of joy? Real quick, do that. So here's the number one wrong answer. Let me give you the number one wrong answer. The opposite of joy is sadness. That's, that's how often people will answer it. Oh, it's sadness. No, no. No, it actually isn't. It's hopelessness. It's hopelessness. Because you can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing and have joy in the midst of that. In fact, there's a verse... Uh, Thessalonians talks about this. We grieve. He's talking to us as believers. We grieve, but we don't grieve as the world grieves because we have, we have hope. So we grieve. I mean, you're going to take some hits, but in the midst of the hits that you're taking, we have joy. We have hope. And, um, and so let me define for you. In fact, let me just say this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6.10 Paul is describing the Christian life, and he just basically says, sorrowful, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So in the midst of the sorrow, we have joy. And so what is joy? Joy is a buoyancy in your life, which means that life can push you down, but it can't keep you down. Because you keep coming back up to the surface. If you've ever gotten in a backyard swimming pool with a big beach ball and try to stand on it in the pool, if it's too big, you will never be able to stand on it. But if it's small enough, you can, might stand on it for a little while, but all of a sudden it flips out from under you and comes back to the surface. That's how we are. Life can push us down. People can push us down. Circumstances and things can push us down, but it can't keep us down. So joy is a buoyancy in our life based on the eternal privileges and pleasures that are in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why you need to be basking in those regularly so that when you feel life is pushing you down, you're able to come back up. Sometimes it takes us a while to come back up. I understand that. You're able to come back up because of the joy that you have in Christ. And uh, so what are the eternal privileges and pleasures. There's many of them. I've already talked about them, but the wealth of his presence. 
You have his presence, the comfort of his love, the strength of his power. You have his power available to you. And the significance of even being called a child of God. And so I was listening to Spotify here a couple weeks ago and, um, and I heard this song by David Crowder, one of the f- lines in this song. It says, Earth knows no sorrow that heaven can't cure. So if you ever see any situation or person is hopeless, it's because you aren't fully embracing the gospel. So if you see people in your life, you go, oh, they're a hopeless case. You don't understand the gospel. If you feel that you're hopeless in whatever circumstance that you're facing even now or you will face, you don't understand the gospel because the the gospel will give you hope. Christ will will give you hope in the midst of those hard times. I was listening to another song uh, just this last week, Shane and Shane. In the, in the song it says, it's based on Romans 8, I am no longer a slave of fear. I am a child of God. It's a beautiful song. So build your life on mutual giving and receiving of love and truth and, and, uh, with God and you will have a joy that will endure when all other things pass away. Here's the next one. Intimacy with God will make you want to share it with others. So what is the difference it makes? Well, it gives you a joy, a fullness of joy, but, it, but intimacy with God will make you want to share it with others. Uh, verse four, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That our joy may be complete. This is what Paul talks about, uh, two, two places where he basically is giving his kind of mission statement and his, uh, his statement of how he's ministering to people as we should be also. He says in 2 Corinthians 1.24, I don't lord it over you, but I'm working with you for your joy in the faith. That would be the best thing you could do when you're hanging out with other people is to help them find intimacy with God and experience the joy and the faith that you are experiencing. And uh, he says, kind of repeats that in Philippians 1.25, convinced of this, so he's talking about either he's gonna die or stay here, but he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, in intimacy with God. See, once you've tasted fellowship with God, you have to want anyone else that you care about to know it too. You can't keep it to yourself. It's the most energizing and enthusiastic life you could ever live. You want everybody to know what you have and what you're experiencing. And um, if you don't want other people to know what you have, then what you have isn't very potent. And you need to take a serious look at that. You're really missing out on the best part of the Christian life. Here's the last one. Intimacy with God is both enjoyed and developed most, most in community. Intimacy with God puts us in a deep and eternal relationship with others who are, who are like-minded. And there's not a deeper connection you can have with others not just talking theology. Theology is certainly part of that, but talking about this level of intimacy that we have with God. When you get around people that are finding such deep joy in intimacy with God, and you are, are too, there's a deep connection. That's the deepest way that you could connect with others. As you share that back and forth, he says in verse four, that our joy may be complete. You cannot enjoy and develop intimacy with God to its highest level 
if you're not connected with other Christians. In fact, loving God with all your heart will make you want to connect with others. It will make you want to get involved in, in a small group or hang out with other Christians where you're sharing your heart and, and experiencing the joy of talking about who Christ is, what he's done. And so you, you can't survive or even thrive in the Christian life apart from community. And it's got to be more than just the weekend services. It's got to be more than just coming here and showing up and checking the box and moving on. You need to go deeper. You need to go much deeper. And uh, let me just kind of bring you up to speed of where we're headed this in 2020. 2020 is going to be an exciting year for us because we can now finally build out the rest of our 36,000 square feet here. And so because of God's goodness and graciousness, yes, praise God. And because of that, because of your generosity, both to the general fund and also to the Dare You to Move uh, fund, we're going to be building the rest of this out. So we're going to be kind of making more room for our children. We're going to do more office space and more rooms to have classes in. And we're going to also expand this auditorium. And uh, this is about a 300-seat auditorium here that doesn't include... um, uh, the, the foyer where people love to sit out there. And then also we've got two overflow rooms. Now, uh, we hit our lid when we moved in here six years ago. And so what I mean by that is that we busted through the 80% rule. There's an 80% rule that you don't ever want to fill up a room more than 80%, and we're way beyond that right now. There's a few spaces here, but that's not 80 it's not 80%. So you want to maintain an 80% rule where there's, there's about uh, 20% of the chairs available because when unchurched people come in, they need to have a place to, to come to. And so we busted through that. I mean, that was our lid right when we started. We're a church of about thirteen to 1,400 who call this their church home. And we haven't really been able to grow beyond that only because we're, we're kind of confined to the building size that we have. It hasn't been the most conducive for reaching more lost people in this world. There are some 200,000 unchurched people within a five-mile radius of Desert Breeze. And it's our heart is to reach as many people as we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to make more room for them. So we're going to expand the walls. We're going to expand this place. And... um, And that's all in an effort to reach more people with the gospel of our Savior. But as we expand, I I forewarn you, because we will lose some of our intimacy, and you will feel a little lost in a bigger auditorium. There was someone that told me not too long ago that they brought a relative to our church, and the relative responded to them as they sat through a service. They go, wow, it doesn't matter where you sit. You're always on the front row here at Desert Breeze. (laughs) Yeah, it's intimate. This is an intimate setting. I love it. Because I can see you, and I know everyone that's here. <laughs> and I know when you're not here. Unless you mess with my head and start sitting in other places, okay? And then that kind of messes me up a little bit. But then I can finally find you. Oh, I see them back there. A lot of people think that they, I can't see them. I can see you really well, okay? <laughs> I got the best seat in the house. And, and, so, uh, and so we want... We want people to be able to come in here and encounter Jesus and encounter us and connect with us in a deep level. And so we're doing everything we can to create that atmosphere. And so just beware. We're going to lose some of our intimacy and feel a little lost in a bigger auditorium. We'll talk about you with that more and more 
And so just be prepared for that. And um, so as we grow bigger, at the same time, we need to grow smaller. And so what you need to do is during this time, you need to make sure you're connecting at a deeper level than just weekend services. I mean, Scott did a great job with the announcements. I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities, small groups, women's and men's uh, Bible studies, game of life, celebrate recovery, marriage enrichment, financial peace, and the list goes on. There's much more that I, uh, much more on that list. And if you don't do that, you will get lost in the crowd and fall through the cracks. And we don't want that to happen. So here's my end challenge. Is there a mutual giving and receiving of love and truth in your relationship with God that you want to share with the world around you? Here's a journal entry from an old dead theologian. This is what he said. Tonight, as I was communing with God, God put my head on his shoulder and bid me to worry no more. Do you know what that means? If you are a Christian, and that is a very rare experience, then you are living in poverty when you have enormous wealth through Christ available to you. To know that you know him, listen to me, to know that you know him, it's heaven on earth. I'll be up front here at the end of the service. By the way, next weekend we go to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. We're going to be looking at the conditions for fellowship, and the first one is walk in the light. And so we'll talk about that. But I'll be up front at the end of the service uh, along with my wife. And if you're new, we would love to meet you. If you need prayer for any particular reason, we would love to pray with you and for you. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So, Father God, it is absolutely amazing beyond words that you have reconciled us to yourself through the indispensable and costly sacrificial love of your Son on the cross for us that, that by grace through faith in him we can have intimacy with you. That's, that's just mind-blowing, Lord. An enchanted reality in this disenchanted world Teach us how we can go deeper into this mutual giving and receiving of love and truth with you so that we can grow wiser and stronger and deeper in our Christ-like character. May we truly find so much joy in you that sin loses its appeal and suffering loses its effect on us as we live for your glory. In this coming year, 2020, may you be most glorified in us as we are most satisfied in you. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you.